Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. Today, I got Wes with me, who is officially a co-host on this podcast. Welcome, Wes. Thank you very much. Glad to be a part full-time I'm, now. I'm excited to work with you, man. Hell yes. Yeah. Uh, Jake's going to sit out one more week. He should be back next week. We were supposed to be doing our fan appreciation episode this week, but unfortunately, things came up. And, you know, I really want Jake to be a part of that episode because he is, you know, a big part of why Infinite Rabbit Hole even exists. So we're going to hold off one more week on that one. If you're listening to this, unfortunately, we're recording it the same day that this one comes out. But I will post on the Facebook page at some point saying, hey, you guys got an extra week to get some of your questions and comments in so we can read them off on the show. Today, we're doing something a little different. Infinite Rabbit Hole, up until now, we've talked about some really far out stuff, uh, some stuff that's not really backed by solid science. Today, we're talking about something that's going to make your head scratch, and we're really excited to talk about this, but it does have a lot of science behind it. Uh, we chose this topic because of its wow factor and this kind of feeling of urgency that you're going to get from it, and that is at some point in our future, we're going to have to move to a different planet. Where are we going to go? Why are we going to have to leave? I'd also like to touch a little bit about how did we get here in the first place? If that's all right with you, Wes, because I did some research into that too. Oh yeah, totally. Um, again, we're not scientists, but we do like to talk a lot about some cool stuff. I'd like to start it off today, Wes, if you're cool with that. Go for it. I'd like to start it off with a quote from one Stephen Hawking. Ooh, it's a long one. <laughs> All right. So quoted by Stephen Hawking. I believe that the long-term future of the human race must be in space. It will be difficult enough to avoid disaster on planet Earth in the next hundred years let alone the next thousand or million. The human race shouldn't have all its eggs in one basket or on one planet. Let's hope we can avoid dropping the basket until we have spread the load. Well said. Very well said. All right. So with that, let's start from the very beginning. Okay. All right. I want to run a theory by you and get your opinions on it. I was thinking we can kind of run this in a timeline fashion. So we'll start okay. off with how did life get here? All right. A little bit about why we would have to leave. And then let's start talking about the, the travel and destination. Sounds good. Cool. Have you ever heard of a, a term called transpermia? Transpermia. It actually sounds familiar, but uh, I can't off the top of my head think of what it is exactly. But I'm sure you got the answer in front of you. I do. <laughs> so transpermia is the explanation of how life could have gotten here from another planet. Okay. There's some pretty interesting stuff here. So the question is, did life start on another planet and then come here to Earth? And I want to talk about a particular planet in our solar system. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well believed that life on Earth began in the oceans, right? Yep. There's a problem with that. The RNA that we have in, in our bodies and in, in our cells and every genetic makeup that we have is soluble by water. It dissipates in water and it's, it does not stick together very well. So in order for life to start, because RNA is the precursor to all life on earth, it was there before even the most basic of cells. How could that have developed in water? There's a theory out there that life actually began on Mars and then through the process of whether it be a meteor or an asteroid or some kind of other 
space body slamming into Mars and kicking over some Mars chunks. And one of those chunks lands in our ocean. Mm -hmm. Now, the listener might be thinking, why Mars? Well, that's a good question. RNA, although it doesn't hold its form in water, does hold its form very well when boron is present. Now, when the Earth was very young, we didn't have a lot of boron. And ge uh, geologists can tell you this. Mm -hmm. But one planet that did, and one of our closest neighbors, not our closest, but one of our closest, is Mars, right? Okay. Has plenty of boron. Hmm. Another problem with building RNA and DNA here on Earth uh, is that we have uh, unsoluble phosphates here. Basically, what phosphorus compounds are, are the things that hold together uh, proteins and they help form RNA and DNA. Mm -hmm. A lot of our phosphates are solid and they're not water soluble. Now, Mars is literally chock full of phosphates that are more water soluble not not fully water soluble but they are soluble in water mm -hmm. so now you have two things you have boron and you have phosphates that are soluble in water let's say a chunk of of uh of rock from mars holding something that was incubated and created on mars through the the bor boron and the phosphates mm -hmm. traveled over and they came over to earth where they were able to incubate and grow uh, at an expanded rate through all of the stuff that earth can provide mm -hmm. sunlight oxygen uh nitrogen based atmosphere uh the, and an atmosphere not a a gravity that's not so harsh or not so weak uh, i don't mm -hmm. know if you know that but uh mars actually has an issue where um the gravity is so so low it's actually the planet is half the size of Earth, roughly half the size of Earth. And me at 200 pounds, right? I would only weigh 75 pounds on Mars. Okay. And there's a lot of problems with that, right? Uh, connective tissue in your body can't necessarily uh, grow or, and connect as well as it could with the gravity that we have here on Earth. Um, you have problems with... Um, System, uh, bodily systems not being able to develop correctly. Now, I'm not saying that it couldn't uh, develop in a certain way on a planet that has less gravity, but uh, from what we know, uh, Earth's gravity works really good with this stuff. Um, one of the big issues with traveling in the space later on in the future is having to find a, a, a planetary body that has the, the proper amount of gravity so that our hearts can still beat so that our bones still work properly, our muscles develop properly mm -hmm. and that our spinal cords don't uh, expand or compress. Um, that is a very important thing. Now, does that come into play when you're talking about single cell organisms? I don't know. You know, that's a big question, but is it outside of the realm of possibility that life could have started on Mars where they have everything you need to at least start life and build RNA and build DNA and build proteins to build single cell organisms or um, simple organisms, you know, not, not multi, not, not these big conglomerate celled systems like a human being, but something small, like a bacteria. And mm -hmm. then something slams into Mars and that rock with all those hitchhiking bacteria or single cell organisms hitches a ride over to 
the earth lands in the water and now you have everything else you need to just excel growth and mm -hmm. you know propel changes into uh these these single cells to create these multi-cell organisms okay so what do you think that somehow while we were in the early stages of life we were on mars and then somehow got carried over to earth yeah basically what you're saying yeah, but I mean, um, nowhere near the form that we are in today. And you know, yeah, this... yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like just like the beginning stages, you know, mm -hmm. maybe even single cell organisms, or uh, maybe just past that. I don't know if we were any any further past that. If uh, we would have survived such a journey, um, I don't know. I've never really thought about that, or the idea that possibly we're from we're not originally from Earth. We share a lot of similarities between a lot of the animals and other, you know, forms of life on the planet. So what, what if I, what if I were to say that all life, not necessarily just human life, but all life on earth started in Mars. I mean, that would explain why we're so closely related to everything else, you know? Um, but you know, earth is like in the perfect spot for life to have formed, you know, we're in the, the Goldilocks zone, right? We're, right in the area where liquid water can exist you know any closer to the sun uh it would just boil or evaporate and be gone any further away and it would just freeze right mm -hmm. and that's part of what allowed us to flourish you know life on earth if life was able to uh start in some way shape or form on mars i feel like I mean, Mars right now is a much harsher environment than Earth, obviously. But uh, I imagine that there would have been more than what we've found so far. Because didn't they find like bacteria or or something like that on Mars a while back? Well, I don't know if they did or not. But I know that the polar ice caps on Mars, they're claiming that there could be potentially some frozen bacteria up there and at the bottom. Um, I don't know if they necessarily found anything yet. I kind of not up on my Mars news right now, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't put it um, past them, but I'm pretty sure that if they had found bacteria, that would have been giant news. That should have been everywhere because technically that's life off of this planet. So I guess just a quick Google search. Uh, <laughs> uh, it looks like, you know, to date, no proof has been found of past or present life on Mars. Cumulative evidence shows that during the ancient uh, Noachian time period, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, uh, the surface environment of Mars had liquid water and may have been habitable for microorganisms. Um, so I do remember reading about that in the past, that there was evidence that um, there may have been flowing rivers and whatnot on Mars. And if there's flowing water, then there's a, a, a huge chance that there was other, there was life of some sort on there. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it was at the most basic, you know, level, um, of single cell organisms and whatnot, but, um, it also barely has an atmosphere. So, <clears throat> because, you know, like you said, it's smaller than earth. And part of what allows Earth to have, you know, the atmosphere it does is that it's big enough to have a certain level of gravity, right? So, and that's what's holding the atmosphere to the planet. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like if, uh, I mean, 
I'm not sure how long they think that, you know, life as we know it has been on the planet. I know that they've said that we've gone through multiple um, extinction events, right? So like Mm -hmm. everyone knows about the dinosaurs and that the most plausible theory for their extinction was a asteroid came down and basically put the planet into a, um, you know, I don't know, uh, however many years long winter. So they ended up dying out. But um, obviously something survived or just somehow through the miracle of life, uh, you know, started from scratch again. And now here we are, you know, completely different world than what we, the little we do know of uh, prehistoric time and whatnot. But um, I feel like we would have found something on Mars by now, like definite proof, you know, Mm -hmm. but uh that one, I know we'll have to come back to, I think. <laughs> now, I wonder, I know they sent a lot of rovers out there, and I know they've been able mm-hmm. to gather soil samples and other kind of samples, right? But have mm-hmm. they been able to get those samples back to Earth to be tested? I know they've, they that those rovers have testing uh, available uh, capabilities, mm-hmm. but how, how well, well are they actually able to test that kind of stuff without actually having somebody there or having the all the equipment that they could possibly need. Well, I think, uh, I don't think uh, it would be too hard for them to test it the same way they do tests here on earth. Right. Cause I mean, basically here on earth, anytime we're testing anything, it's a, it's a machine or some type of equipment doing it. Right. And then we're just reading the results and interpret interpreting the uh, results for ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So essentially, uh, you know, the rovers and stuff that we've sent to Mars is basically doing the same exact thing, except it's, sending the data from its results from Mars back to earth. And then, you know, our scientists here are analyzing that information to come up with the, you know, interpret the results for themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're just as capable of doing it there the way we've been doing it. You know, Um, I'm sure they gotten a lot of uh, good information back from the rovers and whatnot. Oh, pictures are pretty awesome. So one of the questions that came up in my own mind when I was thinking of of panspermia and whether or not this could be an actual thing that had happened is can single cell organisms or simple organisms live in the vacuum of space? And I came across this really cool study that was done on the International Space Station. Mm-hmm. Where they took uh, various types of organisms from single cell to, you know, uh, simple multi-cell organisms. And they actually let them grow on a piece of sheet metal, basically, and left them out into the vacuum of space for, um, let's see, they left them in the vacuum of space for 552 days. And not only did they stay alive, but they grew and they multiplied. Hmm. So it was is it the, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're fine. Was it the, the tardigrades? You know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> very good possibility. But the, the simple fact is, is that yes, uh, if something were to hitchhike a, on a rock through space, at mm-hmm. least in our solar system. I know it gets much, much colder whenever you get outside of the solar system and you don't have any of the sun's light to rely on and all that vast empty space. Um, but seeing something 
hitch a ride from Mars to Earth, mm-hmm. yes, it 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 can be done. You know, depending on what organisms were attached to that rock, yes, it can happen. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is that is really cool because um, I heard about the same thing, but um, it was um, what they call tardigrades. They look like little worms with legs and like a, a suction cup like mouth yeah. on the on the <laughs> face yeah it looked like um, razor teeth yeah yeah um but apparently there was uh an israeli spacecraft that crashed on the moon that was carrying thousands of them and it crashed on the moon so now people are like well uh we know that they can survive in space in the vacuum of space uh they're who knows what's going to happen to the ones that crashed on the moon mm-hmm. there's there's definitely going to be ones that have survived so yeah, so I guess they're they're the only um, animal. I guess they are considered animals, near microscopic uh, animals, but uh, they're able to survive in the vacuum of space. Yeah, I heard uh, those things were able to withstand nuclear explosions and everything too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're uh, pretty fascinating. But uh, I mean, if if those are able to withstand those types of conditions, uh, I can't imagine that there isn't anything else out there that uh can withstand that so i there has to be other life out there right yeah who knows um i I think it was one of the moons of uh jupiter or i forget but uh we know that it has like a frozen like outer layer right but underneath that is like a ocean that they expect to be like somewhat warm from the uh, uh planet's core you know activity in the core or whatever so they think that might be one of the best places to find life within think, our own solar system. I think you're thinking of Europa. That might be it. You said Jupiter, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Europa is on Jupiter. Let's see. Yep. Uh, G- Europa or Jupiter 2 is the smallest of the four uh, Galilean moons orbiting Jupiter. Uh, we'll see. Slightly smaller than the Earth's moon, Europa is primarily made of silicate rock and has a water ice crust and probably an iron nickel core. has a very thin atmosphere composed primarily of oxygen. Its surface is striated by cracks and streaks, but craters are relatively few. Um, this is just things that we've been able to see uh, from Earth-bound telescope op- observations. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, there's a hypothesis that uh, water ocean exists beneath the surface, which could conceivably harbor extraterrestrial life, and you know, extraterrestrial as in you know, possibly single cell organisms, or maybe even slightly more advanced than that, but not like little green men, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, just extraterrestrial as in not from Earth. Yeah, supposedly but, uh, there's a couple of them out there that could potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. harvest some sort of life even if it's a carbon-based life form i mean but for all we know there is life forms out there that are based in some other element right yeah we have no idea. i mean absolutely i mean the only thing that that uh carbon has going for it is that it's so friendly when it comes to other uh elements you know i mean mm-hmm. when you're did you ever take organic chemistry uh i don't think so Man, I, I I remember taking one organic chemistry class in college, and 
everything was carbon. Just everything. Everything connects to carbon. Everything, carbon everything just, is based. You know, I mean, not that it couldn't, like other uh, elements could play friendlier in different situations out in the vastness of space on other planetary bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least here, carbon is, I mean, it's the building block of life. Yep. So, um, um, yeah. Um, but you know, we know we like carbon is part of a periodic table, right? A yep. periodic table of elements, but that table is only made up of the elements that we have discovered. Right. And we're pretty sure that there's a way more out there. We just haven't seen because I mean, um, you look at like just the solar system, um, I mean, it seems like it's all, it, we have a pretty good understanding of it to a degree, right? It's all made up of stuff that we know about. Um, but, you know, for all we know out somewhere out there in the vastness of space and the universe, uh, there could be all, you know, many other elements that we have no idea about and, uh, which could bring along, um, you know, different forms of life that are based in some other element, you know? Um, so like scientists are like pretty sure that there's more out there. Right. But what if there's another, uh, star system out there with planets and there's planets in the, uh, the Goldilocks zone around the star that they're orbiting. And what if none of the elements that we know about here on earth are present in that solar system? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, maybe it's, maybe the most common element there is something else that we have no idea about. And that's what life, the life forms there are based in, you know, like just like thinking about stuff like that, just kind of like, it's crazy, you know? Um, I think if you see a a life form that's based off a different element as its primary building block, mm -hmm. you're going to see something drastically different. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and who knows, maybe that life form is uh, able to withstand much harsher environments than us you know mm-hmm. it's it's just it's it's a lot of fun to think about that type it of is. stuff uh, you know you know carbon like you had uh, alluded to a little earlier when you were talking about the goldilocks zone mm-hmm. you know carbon is you know one of the main reasons why most of our body is is water and how not only do we need to be in the Goldilocks zone because of the water that's outside of our body, but we also need to be in the Goldilocks zone because of the water that's inside of our body too. Mm-hmm. Um, and without us being a carbon-based organism, uh, living outside of the Goldilocks zone is just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's a there's many there's millions of reasons why we're able to survive here and nowhere else. You know, so. Um, it's it's a lot to wrap try to wrap your mind around thinking about you know especially when it comes to thinking about it, the possibility of other life out there in the universe absolutely man. all right so you ready to start talking about what's what's wrong with the planet and why we would have to get off of this <laughs> uh <laughs> what's wrong with the planet is mostly us but uh <laughs> you, you know wrong. Uh, you know all, we we tend to fight over the dumbest stuff right you know and uh but when you start thinking about the vastness of the universe and how infinitely large it is, all this stuff back here on our own little rock uh, seems like insignificant, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like we're such a small part of a much bigger universe. And 
you know, all, all this conflict and fighting amongst ourselves is, uh, you know, what's the point? It, you know, it's just like, I don't know, might as well be like ants fighting each other, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, when in reality, uh, we scientists know that at some point we're going to have to leave Earth uh, because the sun right now it's a yellow dwarf but eventually it's going to run out it's going to run out of a uh, hydrogen because that's what it's it's currently burning right now in nuclear fusion mm-hmm. um and uh eventually when it runs out of hydrogen it's going to start burning helium which and, is going to cause it to rapidly expand yes into a red giant eventually it's going to consume mercury and venus right mm-hmm. and with a good possibility of it also um consuming earth when it expands but even if it doesn't consume earth it's still gonna be bad news for earth because basically it's going to boil our oceans it's going to burn everything the atmosphere is going to be gone there's going to be no way earth will be able to uh support life on it after after this process of going from a yellow dwarf to a red giant and uh it's it's like scary to think about but i mean good thing about it is that it's billions of years away, right? I mean, there's many different numbers out there that I've seen of when this could possibly happen. Um, We have a pretty good idea of when it will happen, give or take a couple billion years, right? But um, it was something I was talking to my wife about the other day, and she was just like, what? The Earth's going to die? And I was just like, yeah, uh, eventually. Because I I think how we we got onto the topic was – uh, she's like, I don't know why we're spending so much money to, you know, explore space and stuff like that. And I, I told her, I was like, well, we got to start now because eventually we're going to have to leave Earth. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, the sun is going to turn into a, a red giant. And like, we're not going to be able to stay here on Earth one way or another. And she was just like, what? You know, <laughs> and then I started telling her about it. And then she was just like, her mind was blown. You know, she was just like, telling her brother and uh, some of our friends about it she's like yeah he's telling me this mind-blown stuff like i can't believe it and i was just like yeah so essentially we need to start like trying to learn more about you know our own solar system and you know the other star systems around us and whatnot because eventually we got to go somewhere else um whether that it's another planet in our own solar system or to another star system that potentially has a planet that can support life, you know, that's in its own Goldilocks uh, Goldilocks zone. So right now there's like two options uh, and only one of them is somewhat realistic, right? So one option is uh, we leave earth, right? Um, And then we go to another planet within our own solar system because once the uh, sun goes from a yellow dwarf to a red giant, that habitable zone, the Goldilocks zone is going to change, right? It's going to expand out because the sun is going to be much larger. It's going to give off a lot more light. And so Mars or maybe even one of the moons, uh, one of the other planets uh, will be in that habitable zone, you know, and will be warmed up and maybe there's a chance that life can uh, survive on it, that it can be habitable. But if we do do that, 
we know that also when once the earth becomes a red giant that isn't going to last forever either eventually once it once it gets to the phase of red giant uh it'll be a red giant for roughly uh, a billion years give or take and then after that it'll become a white dwarf where it'll shrink to even smaller than the size of the sun currently um and then once that happens the other planets in our solar system will become ice covered rocks again <laughs> basically completely uh, useless yes so the, the other option besides going to a planet another planet on our or moon in our solar system is to travel from our solar system to another star system to another planet that has uh, life on it or or could support life on it i should say right that's in a, in a goldilocks zone of its own star around its own star and but the problem with that is the closest uh, star system with a potential planet within that Goldilocks zone is what, like 14 light years away. So if we were able to travel at the speed of light, it will still take 14 years at the speed of light to reach that star system, which at this point is not possible because we are even close to reaching those speeds. So that's like one of the things I was explaining to my wife was we got to start now with trying to, you know, get to that point because we can't wait till we're like 10 years out from the sun becoming a red giant and then start working towards it then. Right. You know, there's no way we'd be able to uh, come up with the technology that would be needed to travel those kinds of distances in a realistic sense, you know? And if we're not able to do that, then the only other thing I can think of is that we, we have like a, uh, like a space station, like the International Space Station, but it's just traveling through the cosmos, you know, and we're just living on that. But I mean, for a station to have enough room to hold all of us, it would have to be pretty damn big, <laughs> you know, if if we were to do something like that, like a space station that just holds all life, it, it'd be, it might be kind of like uh, that movie uh, Valerian. I don't know if you ever saw that. Nope. But the whole premise of the movie at the beginning is, you know, uh, the nations of Earth create, you know, the International Space Station, right? And then more and more nations as they gain the ability to <clears throat> launch rockets and get to space, they, like, uh, connect themselves to this, inter this station. And then eventually the station gets so big that it has to leave Earth's orbit or risk... Uh, you know, Earth's gravity causing it to crash into the Earth. So they leave uh, Earth's orbit to go on off on their own. They end up uh, finding uh, other alien life, intelligent life that becomes part of the station. And it's like, a, I don't know, uh, you know, everyone gets along for the purposes of helping each other survive. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, obviously a whole plot beyond that. But that's kind of like the basic concept of the very beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. That'd be awesome to see something like that. But I mean, obviously this is all well past our time, our children's time, our grandchildren's time, the children of our grandchildren's time, you know, see, billions of years away. I, I feel where your wife is coming from. I really do. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I know where you're coming from too. I could see both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. the The problem with me here, and I'm just gonna, you know, I had plans to get in this little bit of information out, so I'm just gonna spit it out there real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and then I'll bounce back to what, you know, kind of why I'm siding with your wife and why I'm siding with you. Right. Okay. Um, scientists in 2012 uh, came out with a statement saying that they believe that the earth's maximum capacity for human beings is between nine and 10 billion people. Mm-hmm. Now, fun fact, right? 1970, the population for the human race was 3.7 billion, roughly a third of what uh, scientists in 2012 believed was mm-hmm. our max. Do you know what it is today? Isn't it something like seven or eight billion? 7.8 billion. So in the span of 50 years, our population more than doubled. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. So we're obviously going to run out of a lot of things, right? I mean, one, yeah. one of the thing is, you know, everyone's probably thinking about this or like, what are you talking about? There's so much room. Look at all the room in the Rockies. Look at all the room in Canada. Look at all the rooms in Siberia. Like there's a lot of room left, right? There's the a lot prob- of room, but food. The problem, the problem, is, the problem is, is who's going to make all the food? Yep. Where, where are these croplands going to come from? Who's going to go out there and do it? You know, with this yeah. with society today, increasingly relying on phones and video games and how important it is to get a like on Instagram. <laughs> Speaking of, we got our new Instagram up. Go and check that out. And we really like likes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nothing but shameless promotion. here. <laughs> completely shameless. Just the way we like. <laughs> but, you know, we're we're running into an era now where we're not going to have that and yeah well well within our lifetime this yeah that's 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 in the very near future and you know with all the mighty dollar holding more meaning than the future of our children the problem will not fix itself nor is it even possible that humankind will put greed aside and i just don't see us coming together even in the future I mean, something drastically is going to need to happen yep. in order for us to even get to the point to where we're going to even have the opportunity to get off this planet. And it's I, I just don't see it ever becoming a, a thing. And my own personal belief is that we just got to make the best out of what we have right now because we're not meant for the stars. And it, the... I have a very similar opinion as you, uh, but my belief is not all of us are meant for this, for a life amongst the stars. Now that could be as, true, but when you, ju- and I, you know, I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off before your argument there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I believe that there is a lot of people that there are a lot of people, excuse my grammar, because I can't speak today. <laughs> you I, believe, I believe that there are, a lot of people that are meant for the stars, you know, someone, there are some people out there that are really going to do the human race good and be able to, to push forward into space, the final frontier and find a new place for us to be mm-hmm. through science and exploration and a hell of a lot of resources uh, and a hell of a lot of time. You're talking mm-hmm. generations of people before we actually finally get somewhere that we can uh, populate. But the thing is, is that even those people that are meant to go, I don't think are ever going to get the chance to go because a dollar is worth so much to so many people. And I don't, I, 
I just well, don't see it happening. There's no, I just don't see it. I mean, I do see it. So my, my opinion is that I believe that whenever, when it comes to it, down to it, once we hit that threshold where uh, there's not enough resources to support the amount of life that's on earth, right? Um, we're going to like, as a, as a race, we're like at least a small portion of us is going to have to make a choice to leave, leave earth, right? Leave earth mm-hmm. for good. Like Elon Musk, I feel like is already like moving that direction, right? Because he wants to send people to Mars by what? 2022. Yeah. I think is, is the latest. He, like he's pushing for that so hard and I can understand why, like he's made some very significant advances in technology and in the process has lowered the cost of space travel for anyone and like for our nation and for other nations, right. By having the reusable rockets, which, you know, a little side note, man, when I first saw that, saw that stuff going on and then seeing uh, they had their launch from uh, Kennedy space center in Florida and then you see the rockets come down and land themselves like perfectly in sync. I was like on that barge, <laughs> not on the barge, like at, at Kennedy space center, like came back down and land. they had like two separate landing pads, like right next to each other. I saw and the one where they landed it on the barge and I was blown away by that. I think it was the first mission where it actually took up a payload, like, yeah. at, like to the, either to the international space station or it was launching a satellite or something like that. But it was like, once they were past a testing phase, they're like, all right, we feel confident enough to launch, actually launch someone's stuff without blowing it up. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and we feel like the rockets can come down and land on their own. Right. And like watching the videos, like I grew up in uh, Florida, Daytona beach and seeing space shuttle launches and whatnot as a kid was just like, that was like everyday life in Florida, seeing the launches being like, Ooh, ah, you know, like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's so awesome. You know? And then the shuttle comes back if it lands in florida you hear the two sonic booms boom boom you know it shakes your whole house and you're just like holy crap what the hell was that you know uh it was like that was super exciting you know and then you know as a kid you envisioned the future having flying cars and all this other crap right that you see in movies and whatnot but these rockets that he made spacex uh, you know, seeing them come down and land themselves perfectly in sync with each other, like touching down, like within a second of each other. I was like, man, this is like first time I've seen something that I envisioned as a kid, what the future would be like. And this is it. Like it's real. It's happening. You know, uh, it's, it's awesome, man. That stuff blows my mind still. It's, well, it's, it's incredibly impressive. I agree. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought up Elon Musk because I, I had no plans of doing it, but he, damn well deserves to be mentioned because some of the stuff this man is doing i mean if if the future of the human race is a bunch of elon musk we're fine oh yeah we're gonna do just fine i think Uh, he's up a lot of minds uh a lot of people like kind of like being more aware of how fragile uh you know the earth is it's not something we can just take 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 and not mm -hmm. expect any type of uh, repercussions um and uh i think he's opened up a lot of people's eyes to that you know because you know there's a lot of people are just like why the hell we send people to mars or whatever you know they don't know anything (laughs) about this stuff like uh 
you know, this is just from my personal experience, people I talk to about it and they're just like, I don't understand. We should, they should be spending that money on this or that, you know? And I'm like, I mean, our, our country's government is already wasting a ton of money on a bunch of stupid stuff, but here's this guy with his own private company. He's dumping his own money into this with the, you know, future premise of humans leaving earth and going to Mars. All right. So it, uh, Two billion years, uh, from an article I read this morning, it says that in two billion years, the sun will be so hot and large Mm -hmm. that it will begin to boil our oceans away. So we don't even have to wait until this thing becomes a full red giant for us to really start feeling the effects. Now, you got to remember, the larger that the sun grows, the closer that we become to, we get to the sun, and that Goldilocks zone gets pushed farther away. There's going to be a lot of different issues way before oh, we yeah. even, before we even get that front row seat to the sun. So even though we're still from from the article that I read, we're still 7.6 billion years away from this this planet being possibly engulfed by our, by our sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're only about two billion years away before our oceans start to boil away. Now yep. I know two billion doesn't like we're sitting here thinking, wow, you know, our lifespan is what, maybe 80 years. (laughs) You know, that's nothing I need to worry about. But the problem is, is if we don't start worrying about it now, the same, the next generation is going to feel the same way and everyone's going to start feeling the same way. Yeah. And it'll be too late by then. We need to start focusing on this stuff. If, if we're going to move forward into um, leaving this planet, because again, man, I, I honestly fullheartedly believe that in some point it's, we're just going to get too far away from being able to actually do this. And, uh, yeah. And you know. we're, we're saying this as in humans are going to survive to that point where it, the sun becoming a red giant is a real problem for us. It, but we're all, like you said, we've already doubled our, um population on the earth since the 70s right mm-hmm. um, it's and all man. those 30 something year olds you know like i am mm-hmm. you know uh in 50 years the the po- planetary population doubled what's it going to be like when we're 80 i mean are we going to be this like we're going to have another doubling of the population screwing ourselves over on multiple fronts there <laughs> Right. I heard a a fun fact or I read a fun fact today that says that we know more about the surface of the moon and Mars than we do about our own ocean. I believe it. We've only explored a fraction of it. You know, it's a very small percentage of it. There's, there's still a lot that we don't know. Could you imagine, could you imagine if there's a resource down there that would just fix energy issues and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff for us? I mean, we we have uh, the potential to fix like like uh, renewable energy sources, you know, solar power, uh, wind power. Uh, they have basically like wind turbines, but it's for the ocean where the ocean's, ocean's uh, currents uh, produce power, you know. Um, but the problem with that is is that these corporations and stuff that run the world are incredibly greedy. And so, like, I, kn- I know. Uh, and the argument comes full circle. 
Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> uh, I think it was when I was in Oklahoma, you could choose where your energy, like your electricity came from, if it came from uh, wind farms, because there's a ton of them out there. Um, or it come from the conventional, you know, where it's using fossil fuels or whatever to produce electricity. And it was more expensive for you to use the renewable energy source, which is like crazy. Like what, you know, how does that make any sense? Well, I mean, it's just like those salads, you know, you want to go and buy a salad and it's $5, but you can go get a McDouble from McDonald's for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's uh, yeah. that's the, that's the world we live in. It's, they want to force, sad, man. you know, that's, that's a whole nother topic. Oh yeah. We're not getting into that, <laughs> <laughs> but we're just barely scraping the surface with that. But that, that's just one of the many issues that we have to uh, find a way around for our, our race, the human race to survive. Mm-hmm. You know? um, if we want any chance of, you know, surviving another hundred years or so, um, you know, literally, if we want to survive the next hundred years, we gotta, we gotta come together and figure out something, you know, and then come together and pull our resources to try to like, you know, uh, reach the stars. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's that's where our, our ultimate like survival lays. Is we have to leave Earth, one way or another. There's no getting around it. We know it's going to happen. And, you know, people can argue about all, all they want, but, uh, it's, it's happening whether we like it or not, whether you believe it or not. And I think that's what makes this such a good topic for infinite rabbit hole is that I don't think a lot of people quite understand that if the human race is going to continue, the only choice is to leave the planet. And it's not something we have to do right now, but it's something we have to start working towards right now. Absolutely. And it's, it's perfect. Like you almost phrased it perfectly. Uh, the earth, like the human race has to go down the infinite rabbit hole essentially to figure out, uh, how to survive, you know, how to get past, you know, our own greed and human nature. Uh, you know, we have to jump down out into the unknown, you know, who knows what else is out there. You know, it's, it's crazy, but, I'm, I, I hope that, um, we can do it. Yep. I really do. I I hope so, but I'm optimistic. We'll go with that. I I think, uh, I hate to be the guy that just sat here and said that we have to get our, our shit together. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm more interested in if Bigfoot exists, to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, if we want to save Bigfoot, we got to start, you know, handling our shit. We're destroying the environment at a, you know, exponential rate. Uh, you know, it's it, quite alarming. Yeah. All right. So let's get off the planet. <laughs> let's get yeah. off the planet, right? Let's, let's go for a ride now. We're going into the final frontier. We're going into space. Before we do that, I just want everyone to kind of get a base knowledge of one particular piece of vocabulary and that's a light year so for those that don't know exactly what a light year is it is a unit of measurement that measures the distance that light can move or light can travel in an entire year's time and that comes out to just shy of six trillion miles 
at the speed of light. Six million. Six trillion. Six trillion. So it's actually 5.9 trillion. But in or, so the, the distance that light can travel at the speed of light in a year is just shy of six trillion miles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, before I say, before I, you know, go any further, I just want to step back because I do want to fix an earlier screw ups from the last episode. Um, I said that the closest planetary system to ours is roughly 14 light years away. I was wrong. I was wrong. It's actually four and a half light years away and it's the Alpha Centauri uh, solar okay. system. Uh, so, so I was wrong. Okay. I, I'm, I'm happy I fixed that for everybody, but still at four and a half light years away, it takes the speed that light can travel. So if I shine a flashlight and you're way down on the other end of the street and you see that flash of light, I mean, it's instantaneous. It takes light 4.37 years to get to Alpha Centauri. And that's our closest neighbor. Now, is there any habitable planets in Alpha Centauri? No, not as far as we can tell right now with the technology that we have. No. So we have to go farther than that. Okay. And just remember, it's not going to take us four and a half light years or four and a half years to get to Alpha Centauri because we're not going to be traveling at light speed. Okay. At least with our current technology. Mm, We're not going to. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't think we're going to be traveling like speed. I think your your body's going to disintegrate, and uh, you know, I, I personally don't think that anything that we can make can travel that fast. Now, if you listen to our previous episode with uh, Mister Mike from the Hush Hush Society, I just want to tag them real quick. That Mike was a great guy to have on. I really appreciated him. Go listen to his stuff. It's awesome stuff. And he's a super smart dude. He says that if somehow you know aliens can create wormholes that's that that's our only chance of really making that kind of travel let's be honest man well that's what i was uh i was going to say is there's more than one way to travel the speed of light well right now both those ways are impossible for us right there's there's the one way which would be brute force speeding our bodies up to the speed of light right and traveling that distance that way and then there's the second, which, you know, also is might as well be a fiction right now. But we believe that it's possible uh, to create a wormhole where, you know, um, <clears throat> we fold the fabric of space time and are able to travel from one point to another that, you know, is many millions of light years away or could only be four light years away, but uh, travel that distance in a very short amount of time, which would be you know, equivalent to traveling at the speed of light if, or maybe even faster, um, you know, but uh, to give some perspective to um, like, I guess in relative figures that most people would understand the speed of light. Uh, so <clears throat> the distance between earth and the sun, right. Is considered one astronomical unit. That's like a, just something we we made up this unit of measurement because that's how far earth is from uh, the sun so it takes light 8.3 minutes to travel 
from the sun to earth, right? And at that speed, it's traveling 186,000 uh, miles per hour per second. Miles per hour, 671 million miles per hour. Mm-hmm. That's how, you know, that's, that's insane, right? But uh, currently, there's no way that we can ever hope to uh, go that fast, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe one, maybe one, at some point in our future, we will figure it out and we can do it. Um, but uh, I don't even know what the closest we've gotten to it. Uh, what's the fastest? Uh, well, man-made object. While you're uh, looking that up, I just want to put out some cool facts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, before I joined the Navy. I was living in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I was going to St. Petersburg College for astronomy. I actually wanted to be an astronomy major. So mm-hmm. when you said you wanted to talk about this, I was like, okay, let me crank, uh, crank out some of these old textbooks. And then I, I'm looking at some of this stuff. I'm like, okay, none of this is fact anymore. <laughs> but mm. uh, fun fact for any of those that are listening that don't necessarily know how light technically or light speed works, when the sun comes up and you're looking at it, like Wes was saying, the light from the sun takes eight minutes to get to your eyes. You're actually looking at the sun as it was eight minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And let's say if you were to look at the, the star in the center of Alpha Centauri, right, which is our closest neighbor, and that is four, four and a half light years away from us. If you're looking at that star, you're actually looking at that star as it was four and a half years ago. There's a lot of stars out out in our sky right now that could no longer exist. I believe it's Betelgeuse is one is a star that's out there that they believe could have already went supernova. And what supernova is is when you have a much more denser star than our sun is. Uh, instead of doing the whole red giant phase, it simply explodes, mm-hmm. um, and it just spreads nebulae gas and uh dust everywhere and it actually creates a a really beautiful scene if you guys want to see a really cool picture of a nebula look up the horsehead nebula it's gorgeous uh Mm -hmm. that's what happens when a star goes supernova and they believe that beetlejuice if you ever want to look up into the sky and find beetlejuice it's a red star in the sky that's not a planet and they believe that that has actually already gone supernova but we can't tell. And then once that supernova light actually gets to us, that light is going to be so strong that it's going to light up our night sky. It's going to be mm-hmm. insane. So just just so you guys kind of get more of a grasp of what we're talking about when we're talking in units of light years is that we're talking about insane distances. I, I want you to feel small. <laughs> you are tiny on the 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 scale of the universe scheme of things yeah you are nothing but dust (laughs) i i have another fun fact uh about so uh so right now it's 2012 right and how long ago it's uh, 2020 i'm an idiot 2020 (laughs) it is 2020 uh and uh how long ago was it that dinosaurs roamed to earth 65 million years ago 65 million years ago go ahead so if we were to travel at if if we could somehow travel out uh out into the universe 
to where it would take uh, light that amount of time to get to us. We could look at Earth through like a telescope with the light that's coming from it, you know, because light mm-hmm. is just bouncing around the universe from everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, we could potentially see dinosaurs on Earth if we, if were, we had a strong we enough that, telescope. If we, were, if we were that far, if we were far enough away, uh, if we could get there like instantaneously, uh, right, and look back at Earth, we could potentially see the creation of Earth happening or dinosaurs on Earth or the first man to walk on two legs, you know, uh, because isn't, isn't that that's wild? How, that's how light works, you know? Yeah, it's it's insane, right? You, you have to start thinking about stuff like that when also when we start thinking about traveling past our own solar system, you know, if we somehow develop the t- technology to travel speed of light or to uh, bend uh, or warp the fabric of space, right. Through like a wormhole or whatever, wherever we're trying to go, what we can see from earth may not necessarily be what's there when we get there, you know, uh, for all we know, uh, the star that's, the planet or wherever we're trying to go may have uh, went supernova, right? And there's nothing left, or maybe there's a black hole there now. Who knows? You know, um, it's it's crazy to think about. You know, it's uh, it's like I, I was telling my wife. Like one of the things I think that, I, or one of the reasons why I find the universe so like appealing and inter- interesting and whatnot is that it's like it's so beautiful yet so chaotic at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all kinds of crazy things like there's beauty in the chaos of it you know um it's 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 crazy thing about this stuff it's really really hard to wrap your mind around all the all these things you know that you have to take into account if you want to go anywhere you know Um, but i love it (laughs) you know i hope this episode gets us on some scientist charts too instead of all these science fiction charts that we're on maybe we get some science charts and because yeah. nonfiction stuff can be just as just as fascinating as you know fiction. You know, like sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. If you have a story to share with us or would like to be interviewed, you can contact us at infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. Thank you again and have a great day. <laughs>